BodPod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Karincefeli. I'm a certified health coach. I help people heal their relationships with food and their body. I also am a recipe developer and a cookbook author. You can check out my cookbook, Vegan Buddha Bowls, wherever books are sold if you're looking for some delicious tasty yummy ass food to nourish that body of yours check it out you can also follow me on instagram at kara's kitchen or find me online at karaskitchen.net i also recently started training other women who want to become food and body image coaches i partnered with my first ever life coach an amazing woman all around brandolin tebow to create the embodied rebel academy if you follow me on instagram you've probably heard me share about it in my stories it's it's really incredible hearing what the women have been getting out of being in this academy, not only personally, but professionally has been incredibly badass. Brandolin and I plan on opening up the academy again in the future. So if you're interested, reach out to me or just keep your eyes and ears open. Now today on the podcast, we're interviewing the lovely Julie Parker. Julie Parker is someone who in years ago was a mental health clinician she specialized in helping women and men who had eating disorders and she was working for a charity called the butterfly foundation which is kind of like the equivalent of NIDA, the national eating disorders association but in australia where she lives and now she's a renowned life coach and actually trains people who want to be life coaches so Just as diverse as Julie's expertise and experience is, this conversation covers a wide range of topics. And we talk about her relationship with food and her body. We talk about the systematic cultural influences that contribute to how we relate to ourselves and our body image and food, right? So our struggles with food and our body are not just personal problems. They're very political problems. And we touch on that. We talk about the importance of self-compassion and how that, what that looks like in your life. Some questions you can ask yourself. If you have a pen and paper, you're going to want to take notes and write down the tips and the questions that she gives to you so that you can support yourself in being more compassionate. We also talk about connecting to our purpose and our legacy, how to get there, some ways that we can start to do that in our own life. So again, have some, have a piece of pen and paper if you can. Uh, If you're driving, obviously, don't be taking notes, pay attention to the road. But it's a great episode. We cover so many topics. And I was just finishing editing it, editing it. And I was like, wow, this is a great episode. We talk about so many things. So okay, I'm going to read Julie's bio and then we'll get into the episode. So Julie Parker is the founder of the Beautiful You Coaching Academy, where she passionately trains and supports heart-centered people to become life coaches. The editor-in-chief of Inspired Coach Magazine, a published author and in-demand speaker, Julie has inspired thousands of people on stages all over the world and is the recipient of numerous leadership and women's business awards. Julie is the co-founder of the Priestess Temple School and host of the top-breaking podcast, The Priestess Podcast, a modern-day priestess with a focus on her Celtic, Balkan, Iberian, and Greek lineage, Julie is committed to contributing to a world where qualities of intuition, presence, social justice, and service are honored. Julie lives in Melbourne with her husband, stepdaughter, and two much-loved adopted cats. I also was a guest on Julie's Priestess podcast, so be sure to go check out that episode. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're a new listener, hey, what's up? Welcome. If you're returning... Thank you for coming back. I'm so grateful to have you here and let's get into today's episode. I hope you love it. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod pod. Today we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Julie Parker. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation today. But just for those listening who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are in the world and how you're doing today. Well, I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I absolutely love it here. I'm a world traveler, a bit of a global nomad at times, but Melbourne, Australia is very much home. I am a life coach trainer, a priestess and sacred leader, and I work with women from all around the world, training them to be life coaches. And I adore that work too. I feel very blessed to love where I live and love what I do. And I just feel incredibly blessed to 
be showing up in the world right now doing work that has meaning and I feel makes a real difference and supporting and encouraging other people to open themselves up to their gifts and make a real difference in that way too. Now that is a very truncated version <laughs> of a, a long career and business online. Uh, but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. I love it. Yeah, we're going to get into it because I want to hear all about it. And I think it's such an inspiring story. And you have been in this for, like you said, many years and many decades. And it's been a journey. And I feel like your career has has taken, um, it's looked differently over the years. And, and, and also, I feel like at the core, it's been transforming people's lives and helping them, which is really cool. But I'd love it if you would share with us your history, your own personal journey with your relationship with food and your body image. What was that like growing up? Hmm. Well, it's always interesting when we're an adult, isn't it, to look back and realise that something was probably not quite right for a lot longer than you actually consciously realised that it may have been. And that was certainly the case for me when I entered into my late teens and early 20s and I looked back and realised that my relationship with food had essentially been passed directly to me from my mother. And I know that a lot of people who might experience an eating disorder or some kind of food or body image related issue, that that can be something that comes as a revelation to them at a later time, or that in some way that it was at least influenced by their mother or a parent, or it could have even been a grandmother or grandfather in some way. And I realised that my relationship with food was a little bit skewed uh, for want of a better word, in the way that I had sort of taken on board how my own mother related to food and saw food. And that was seeing food very much as a comfort and also as a reward. And I also think it stemmed as well from my mum not really understanding the qualities and properties and characteristics of food. And so thinking that it was actually, for example, a very loving thing to give her daughters chocolate-covered cookies or what we call biscuits um, here in Australia every day for lunch and um, ice cream and what we would consider to be foods that you know, I'm not necessarily everyday foods in a way for a growing child. Uh, and the result of that was, is that um, we began, just as she did, to put on quite a lot of weight. And by the time we were both in our teens and early 20s, were in bodies that felt uncomfortable in a way, as a result of just not really eating well, I suppose, but not really understanding that that was what had been happening. But the cycle that so often perpetuates from that, as we know, is that when we then look at ourselves as a result of that and don't like what we see, which is what began to happen to me, you then turn to more food for comfort. And so it becomes this cycle that you enter into. And so while I would never classify myself as ever actually having had a clinically diagnosable eating disorder, I certainly had a lot of uh, negative body image, uh, a difficult relationship with food that took me a long time to unravel but was absolutely worth it. And of course, coming to the realization that it had nothing to do with my weight or how I looked, but that I needed to address how I was relating to food. And then that in turn was able to help me understand that my body weight and size would find its perfect equilibrium. Um, 
and I feel that it has done that. Um, and that does not mean that I am super thin in any way because I've also come to realise that in particular the women in our family are just not that. You know, it's just not our body shape and size. But certainly coming to a, a more lovely, richer, more conscious understanding of how I was consuming food and thinking about food really helped me, uh, you know, to feel more comfortable in my body as well. Mm. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that story. And I feel like those of us who have gotten to a place where we have a more solid relationship with food can say that, right? Like it wasn't as much about our weight and it wasn't as much about our food. It was about how we were relating to those things. Would you share a little bit of that nuance for you and what it looked like for you? Like what was it actually about? You mentioned comfort, but was there more there that helped you get to a place where your relationship with food and your body was more solid? Mm. Well, I think the two words that come to mind for me, Cara, are about um, comfort and reward. You know, it's like, and that's a very powerful association that we begin to develop with something. Whenever I would do something great at school, I was rewarded with food. I was given a glass of soft drink and cake or ice cream or biscuits. That's how we were rewarded. And so when you begin to develop that association between doing good things as a child and you get then yummy treats, well, guess what happens? You know, it's like that becomes a very powerful driver and motivator. And also on the flip side of that, I was given food when I was sad or upset, or I was struggling with something. It was like, here's this to eat to make you feel better. And that also then becomes a powerful driver. And so for me, as an adult, I had to unpack those things and learn that first of all, there were many, many other ways that I needed to and could learn to soothe myself if I was not feeling great other than food. And that secondly, it was the same with reward. There were many, many other things that I could do to celebrate myself other than to eat something. And it was when I started to move into that space and learn more about self-soothing, to learn more about finding other beautiful ways to, to calm myself, to, to feel better, to lift my spirits, and or to celebrate myself, that things began to shift. Now, that was not easy because we know that these things also have, we, you know, addictive properties and qualities. It's just, in many ways, it's very similar we know in the workings of the brain about how people um, may relate to alcohol or drugs or sex uh, or even a particular emotion that they then express in a certain way like anger. You know, it can act as a release for them. It can act as a reward. It can act as a way of self-soothing, even though the outcome of it is actually one that's not positive. And so I really had to deconstruct those things. And that was the thing that started to make the real difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like in a way, like, a, like just addressing the real underlying thing. So like addressing why you were needing comfort and then finding a different way to self-soothe. The, with the reward one, I feel like it's slightly different. Like it's... Um, it's not necessarily like addressing this underlying need for comfort, but it finding other ways to celebrate and having it not be these, these other ways that were contributing, not being this food that was then contributing also to the body shame. You had mentioned that as well. Of like you'd look in the mirror and not like what you'd see. And then that would drive you to eat even more. And I think sometimes yes. we, we don't make the connection between body shame and like emotional eating or binge eating. But I think I love that you actually brought that up. I think that's really common, especially for us as women. And I know that you're someone who's passionate about the social justice side of this, the health at every size, the fat phobic side of this. What would you, what helped you in that area? Like was learning about like fat phobia helpful for you? What helped you with the body image piece? Mm. 
Well, so many things. And yes, that was certainly a huge part of it. I think most definitely, as we've been talking about the awareness that there was actually a problem with the way that I was relating to food in the first place was the first step. And let's face it, I think that's the first step for all of us. Um, because I can't necessarily sit here and tell you that, you know, the emotional uh, needs that I had were uh, any that different or more acute than maybe anybody else. I, you know, was raised by a single mom, but in a very loving, giving, supportive household. I loved school. I had beautiful friends. I was not abused as a child and I was not raised in a household where there was incredible um, emotional uh, distancing of any kind. It was not that there was something, I didn't experience any deep, deep level trauma. Yes, I had some challenges and difficulties with my father and he was very absent and left our family when I was very young. But really, it was just about the fact that I didn't know how to emotionally soothe myself because basically what was happening was that I was just being given a cookie every time and it was like, that's what you do. And so that's how I learned that. So the first step was really becoming aware that I was acting on default and that I needed to stop that and I needed to get out of that cycle because it wasn't healthy and it wasn't helping me. Mm. Um, and it was also keeping me in a very childlike state. Mm. Even though I was an adult and I was a woman, I was constantly defaulting back to cookies, <laughs> you know, or other things, cookies and ice cream, you know, um, yeah, cookies and ice cream. And it was just like, well, hang on a second here. That's not adulting. You know, <laughs> we need to have a real look at this. And so awareness was the first step. There is no doubt that looking at this from a bigger picture as well, from a societal perspective, also helped me enormously. Um, and I owe so much to many, many pioneers and women in the field, Linda Bacon and her work with Health at Every Size, um, Evelyn Triboli, uh, Intuitive Eating, uh, and so many others, all the amazing BOPO and, and fat phobia advocates, um, especially those women who are women of colour and uh, addressing this in a very intersectional and layered way. I owe so much to them for me personally, coming to an understanding that the way that I felt about my body, at least in part, was a societal construct mm -hmm. and a part of being in the mix of an oppressive system that holds women back in particular, uh, that demonises certain body types, shapes, skin colours, sizes, abilities, all of those sorts of things. That was revelatory for me and going, oh, hang on a second. That is actually the thing that is effed up here, not me. And so how am I going to be able to look at that and deconstruct it? It was incredibly empowering when I realised that I had fallen into being a cog in the machine, but that I could take myself out of it if I wanted to. And I did. Mm -hmm. And so that was empowering in and of itself. It's like, I'm not broken. The system is broken. And so I'm going to learn how to heal myself here and hopefully encourage others to heal as well. And so much of that stemmed from me, first of all, needing to honour where I was at that time with my body, that it was okay. And that, yes, um, I was living in a fat body, but that that was okay, that I was okay, that I was absolutely lovable and enough as I was. And ironically or not ironically, as we so often know, is that when I began to think and feel about myself in that way, that also shifted my relationship with food. Because how's the irony of ending up needing to comfort yourself with food about the fact that you're comforting yourself with food? Oh, 
I know so many people listening are like, I'm in this cycle, right? (laughs) Yes. It's like, hang on a second here. I'm doing the exact thing to comfort myself in the thing. And it's just like, ah. (laughs) It's that like negative feedback loop, right? It's like, I don't like my body. And so I eat. And part of the reason why I don't like my body is because I keep eating and all of this like cycle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And gosh, it takes a while to see it and then begin to deconstruct it and understand it. But then it's a whole other level where you've got to get yourself to a point where the compassion and the care that you feel for yourself is stronger than the feeling that you have that you're not good enough and that you're going to be there forever. And that you keep doing it. Mm. And, and that's where you begin to tip into really shifting and changing things, or at least that's what's happened. That's what happened for me. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to get into that. So you, you, prior to being someone who trains life coaches, you were a trained mental health clinician. You mm. specialized with women with disordered eating and body image issues. And you were also the general manager of an eating disorder charity. So you have a ton of experience in supporting people in exactly what you're talking about, this compassion piece and in this healing piece. I know that you also believe that connecting to our spirituality and divine nature helps us with healing. So can you just dive into a little bit about that, what that was like, how you helped people in the Mm. context? Yeah. Thank you for asking me that, you know, I feel as though in many ways it was somewhat of an accident, but also not an accident that I ended up as a clinician uh, and my background is in social work and mental health counselling, ending up with a specialisation in eating disorders. Uh, But at the same time, because that had been uh, an element Oh, within that family of my own healing journey, it's also then not necessarily that surprising. But truth be told, my real passion when I first started working as a clinician was with young people and particularly with young women. I had from a very young age, even as a teenager, you know, I was a girl guide leader and I loved being with other kids and leading other girls and being with people in that capacity and so when I went to university I specifically trained as a mental health clinician within the area of adolescent health and when I started to work at a community health service in my early years in my mid-20s as a social worker It was just at the very beginning, and this is showing my age a little bit here, um, but it was just at the very beginning where we were finally, finally starting to see and understand and get a bit of a better grip on the fact that body image issues were extremely serious, eating disorders were killing people, And that they weren't, in fact, just the doyen of selfish adolescent girls and young women who were crying out for attention. We had finally started to see that this was a mental illness and an area of mental health that was getting worse and was growing in numbers. And I was seeing a lot of it because my area of speciality was working with young girls and women aged 12 to 24. And so lo and behold, what was almost the number one thing that was coming through my door as a counsellor? Self-esteem issues, body image issues, dieting cycles, teasing around body stuff at school, right through to bulimia, anorexia, etc. And so I felt like I almost didn't have a choice but to become deeply invested and passionate about this issue because it was just, it was breaking my heart that I was seeing all of these girls, the odd young man, yes, 
but mostly it was girls and young women. And so I did more study. I became really, really invested and learned and passionate about it more. And eventually that's what led me into a specialisation with it where I went on to become the general manager of the Butterfly Foundation here in Australia, which is Australia's national charity uh, for those with eating disorders. And I moved into private practice as well and started to see chiefly uh, people who, mostly women, again, who had issues in that area. So that was the pathway that led me into that and um, absolutely loving that work and loving both being very intimate in the way that I was supporting people with that, Cara, in one-on-one um, -on -one work but then also working as a general manager through that charitable foundation in instigating change at a societal government level, lobbying for more money, big health campaigns around helping people to understand what this illness was, um, trying to advocate for the needs of sufferers, parents, survivors, better services, hospital treatment, all of those sorts of things. And so it satisfied both my need to want to be very intimate and work with people at a deep one-on-one -on -one level, but also then try and, in a leadership-style way, push those societal boundaries and create change there too. Hmm. I'm so inspired. I feel like I I have an aspiration for both. I've, I feel like I just do the intimate mm -hmm. stuff and I I'm over here like, brainstorming how to film a documentary about like fat phobia and all of these things because I want to have more of like a societal impact change I'm really inspired by um Great. the work that you've gotten to do uh so tell me how like I'd love to chat about the compassion piece self-compassion and the healing process and those different modalities could you speak to those things yeah well I think that developing compassion for ourselves as a human being, no matter what our healing path and life and journey is, which is different but also so similar for all of us in many ways, is probably one of the greatest self-skills that you can ever develop. And this developed for me from a lot of stuff many years ago now. It's more nuanced and complex now, which I love. It developed from a lot of the messages that started to be put out into the community that I felt were very simplistic. For example, love your body. Just love it. It's like, just love your body. And it's like, or oh, hang on a second. Because for anybody that's had a deeply negative mindset and or an eating disorder with an absolutely shocking negative head that so deeply goes with almost every aspect of that every day every hour sometimes even every minute that is mount everest it's too big it's it's too much for many people who are in the deep throes where they actually loathe their existence, let alone their body. It's just too big of a hill for them to climb. And that was also something that was being fed back to me through many, not necessarily, sometimes through their words, but even just through the simplest of things that they needed to do to get through the day where I realised that, that that was actually like, that's pinnacle stuff. Like that, that is the, the shining light at the end of the road. And that telling somebody to just love their body or giving them five steps to love your body is just too simplistic and in fact is, I, I think, more damaging. Because often what happens is that somebody might start down that path and then when they can't manage it because it's so, so far away and the marathon just feels too big, uh, they give up and feel worse about themselves 
and go back to the start or even worse. And it, it just doesn't, it keeps perpetuating the cycle. And that's when I started to fall in love and explore more work around self-compassion. And in particular, I want to give a nod to the work of the amazing um, writer, author, psychologist, Kristen Neff, um, who's written some wonderful books on self-compassion. And I highly encourage everybody um, who is listening that might be intrigued about this to look up her work. It's N-E-F-F for Fred. She has an incredible website that is filled with self-compassion tools. And the big difference for me, Cara, with self-compassion, instead of sort of going down the body love route, is that it's very slow, it's very gentle, it's not about black and white thinking, it's about taking small steps of how you can begin to just even think or contemplate being kinder to yourself. That's what it's about in a nutshell. I don't want to overcomplicate it anymore. It's a lot more than that. But self-compassion is like, how can I be kinder to myself in this moment, mm. in this action or in this day? Because when we start to be kinder and gentler with ourselves, we open up portals for us that lead to softer actions, a softer internal voice, even if it's just for a moment. But then we build on that in the next moment or the next hour and the next day. And so self-compassion for me um, is incredibly powerful and very, very important in recovery, as it is, I think, for anybody that's dealing with a very, very nasty inner critic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often like will be chatting with people and it, they will be talking about like how hard they are on themselves or the intensity of that internal voice, that inner bully. And when we talk about being compassionate, it's like, well, how do I do that? Like I've been so mean, so hard to myself forever. And I really feel like you let them know that it's just being a little nicer to yourself in this moment. And how can you do that? And what would that look like? And like you said, you mm -hmm. build upon that. That's right. And nobody is here to say for one moment that that is easy. And it's not a straight line up. <laughs> we know that for sure. But it's just moment after moment. And Kristen Neff, incredible tools for anybody that's like, oh, but Julie, I still really don't know. It's like, go to her website, get that, get her books, look at all the free tools that are there. And it will start to guide you in some lovely, soft, gentle things that you can just start to take. Um, very, very, very worthwhile. Mm. I'll have to see if she wants to come on the podcast. Oh, she'd be a wonderful guest, I'm sure. <laughs> she sounds amazing. And then you're, and you, it sounds like clearly her work has really made an impact for you in your life. So thank you. Absolutely. For mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. So how does spirituality fit into this conversation? I know it's something that's really close to your heart. You have the Priestess podcast. How does it yeah. fit? Well, I think it's individual to every person, but we're all spiritual beings that are having a human experience. But I think one of the things that so often happens to us is that when we get very caught up in a world and a mind and a body that is so deeply focused on what we look like and what we're eating and what we're not eating, how we're moving or how we're not moving, we forget our divinity. We forget the spiritual side of ourselves and we're just all focused on our body. We're just all focused on what we look like, how we're showing up in the world physically and what other people, what we think other people see when they look at us. And so for me, spirituality in recovery at a core level is first of all about helping us to understand we are so much more than our body. We are so much more than what we look like. We're so much more than what we eat. We are a soul with infinite lives before this one and infinite lives after this one. 
We're children of God, the goddess, the universe. We're made of stars, you know. How, how beautiful is that? But we forget these things when we become so entrenched in the everyday of life. And so connecting back in to our soul voice, our essence, Mother Earth, which I believe is a deep, deep part of our spiritual connection through this human body, but to the underground, to the ground we walk on, to the, the world above, is so very, very powerful because it helps us to see that we are so much more than what we actually see. And when we can start to tap into that, that's where we find things within ourselves that we might never have known actually existed, but in fact, all along have been there. That's where our purpose lives and our purpose is not to be thin. <laughs> That's where our legacy exists and our legacy is not turning up looking a particular way in the world or so many other things that magazines might tell us it is. It's about what our heart calls us to do. It's about how we're in service. It's how we be a leader and sovereign in our own life. It's where we find joy and so many other things. And so to me, finding ways to connect back into our spirituality or reclaim it or rebirth it or whatever that may look like for anybody can be incredibly powerful in the healing journey, incredibly powerful. Hmm. So for someone who, so I'm on board, I'm like, yep, <laughs> love it. I'm here for this conversation. And for someone who's listening, who, who's like, that sounds lovely. That sounds beautiful. And they're really attached to being a certain size because they really truly believe like their life depends on it, their happiness depends on it, their okayness depends on it, their love, their acceptance, their attention depends on it. Mm. And they're so afraid. They love what you're saying. It sounds amazing. And they're so afraid of leaning into that. What would you say to them? Where do you recommend they start? Well, it's okay to acknowledge that fear because you know what? We're all afraid of things we can't see. <laughs> Uh, we're so deeply trained to just believe in what we do see that we then become disbelieving of what we don't. And so it's totally okay to be fearful of that. It's not a reason not to go ahead and do it though. <laughs> um, but it's totally okay to feel that way. And also, do you know what? So many of us, I feel, particularly women, we're afraid of our power. And so often our deepest soul and spiritual self is where our core power lies because of all of those things that I was talking about before. And for many people who are living with an eating disorder or have had one before, you know that it becomes or is an incredible part of your identity. And you can start really thinking and believing to yourself, well, who am I if I don't have this? If this is not who I am, then who am I? And yes, I understand that that is scary. But believe me when I tell you, in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients that I've seen that have recovered and so many others that I've been in touch with, what's on the other side of that fear is so much better than that identity that is with you right now, which is not your purpose. It's not your legacy and not what you're here for. Is it a part of your journey and story? Yes, it is. Is it all your journey and all your story? No, it's not. And so the first step is to acknowledge your fear and to know that so many of us are afraid of our own power and divinity and that's okay, but to do it anyway. And the way that you do it <laughs> in inverted commas is going to look different for everybody depending upon where they are right now. For example, if you are acutely unwell at the moment and you know that in your heart, then the pathway to that is get well, get well first. You can't expect 
to be able to get in touch with that deeper part of yourself until you begin to heal how you are moving through the world every day. And the more that you do that and heal that deep inner critic, how you're relating to food, what's happening with your body, and I hope everyone knows by now in this conversation, I don't say those things flippantly or think that it's easy, but the more you move through that path, the more all of those beautiful, spiritual, powerful, divine things will come into play for you and the less fear that you will have. But you cannot expect to go there until you address what you need to address for you to be well every day. For someone that is much further along and in their recovery path, and or maybe even feels to themselves they're fully recovered but still lost and doesn't quite and wants to go to that next level, then there are so many loving, gentle things that you can do, even with beginning to learn things like just sitting with yourself five minutes a day and asking yourself, what would you have me know? Just asking your deep soul voice and intuition, what do I need to know right now? Or what is for my highest good in this moment? Or you may like to think about connecting in with beautiful goddesses or animal guides or something that may be able to act as a portal for you of healing, which they can be. So, for example, the beautiful Greek goddess Aphrodite and her Roman counterpart Venus, they are goddesses of self-love and beauty and sexuality and power. And I have known many women on a path of recovery that have found their energy really beautiful to tap into. You can find stuff about them all over the internet, right? And you might set up a beautiful altar for yourself with some crystals and candles and connect in with that or, you know, Aphrodite and Venus, they love a good bath, you know, with rose petals and a glass of wine or something like that. These are very healing things that can open up your spiritual path. You might also be somebody that resonates more with a goddess like a dark goddess, you know, somebody who's a real sword thrower, you know, or initiatrix or a truth teller. It's like, okay, enough of this. You know, it's like, right, we're going to really get down. You might get out a map or a plan for your life, create a really hot vision board, you know, on Pinterest or do something creative and something that's much more vibrant. That might feel really good for you too. You might want to play with some Oracle card decks and go into a new age shop and just purchase a box, whether it be with animals or flowers or goddesses or some other sort of spirit element that you can start to draw one from every day see what message it has for you and start connecting in with it there are so many other little simple things there are just a few examples um, of what you can do even can i suggest as well there are some wonderful people out there that are doing great work through the use of food, through beautiful, ritual, nourishing practices. So somebody that comes to mind, for example, is a wonderful priestess and also a food and recipe creator called Tracy Patterson, um, P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N. Uh, Tracy creates recipes and ways of connecting with food that are deeply connected with the seasons of Mother Earth and the goddess. And it's all about how you can relate better to food through nourishing yourself spiritually, but also through actually eating. Very gentle, very loving, really beautiful and deeply spiritual. And so even that, you know, even seeing about how food can be of spiritual nourishment in that way could be super helpful for people. So there's a lot there, but I hope that might be helpful for some people. Just a few ideas. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing all of that. Something that really stood out to me when you were speaking is how we can be afraid of our bigness. 
Mm. And something that I can, you know, I can look back and see elements of this in my own journey. And, and it's been things that I've been able to see in some of my clients is how sometimes we'll stay stuck with our disorder because it kind of acts as a way for us to not rise into that next level because rising into that next level and sharing our gifts and our power um, is frightening because there's responsibility. If we admit that we have these big, big dreams, these big goals, these big contributions that we want to make to the world, we're then sort of on the hook for them. And then we risk failing at trying to achieve them. And so if we have this disordered eating, eating disorder, we can sort of let ourselves off the hook for having to, to really rise and to be the person that we want to see in the world. And it makes me think of Marianne Williamson's quote, you know, it's not our mm. darkness that frightens us most. It's our light. I'm curious if you have thoughts on that or if you've ever witnessed that before in your, with your clients in the past. Absolutely. Uh, not just with clients. I think this is in fact something that is uh, an issue, so to speak, for many women. And how can it not be? Because our, we've been taught to be afraid of our power. Our power has been taken away from us. Power in the hands of women has been ridiculed. Uh, the patriarchy doesn't want us to have power. We are frightening to the system of patriarchy when we have power and when we exercise power and when we take power. So it is no wonder. <laughs> it is no wonder that so many people, and in particular so many women, are uncertain about this for themselves. And it's not easy to overturn. But I think that understanding that we're living in a system and a world where those sorts of oppressive systems, particularly through things like patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy, and more, um, strip us of our humanity uh, and take those things away from us is very, very powerful to know and learn. It's like, well, I'm not broken. You know, I, this is not my fault, but it is my responsibility now. And that's the difference. Yeah. And that's, that can be intense. I feel like there's liberation in that, right? So you were speaking to sort of um, learning more about Lindo Bacon's work, being moved by her, giving you empowerment, and also in here of realizing like, oh, there's these systems, these much larger cultural systems at play that have intentionally tried to strip us of our power and or have made us afraid to own our power because we've seen what has happened to people that have come before us that have spoken against it, who have wanted to be change makers and make a difference. And so it's a way to keep us oppressed. So so when you do get that of like, okay, it's not my fault and also it's now my responsibility, what do you feel like you do when you're at that point? Well, once again, this is going to be an individual path for everybody because the reasons behind when we get down to an individual level, a woman might be afraid of stepping into her power are incredibly unique and individual to her. For some, it may be because she sees herself as very, very different and having opinions and needs and desires and goals and values that are very opposed or very, very different to other people. And therefore she's a lone ranger. And so it's gonna to need to be tapping into the power of that and being strong and sovereign. For other women, it's going to be about the imposter complex and being afraid that they don't know enough, even though deep down, if they really tapped into themselves, they would find out that they do, that they're afraid of what other people would think of them, that they have concerns around how they're going to look to others. And that requires a different level of addressment <laughs> to the first one. And so it's different with everyone. And so I think the first step, radical honesty, radical honesty with self. What am I afraid of here? And what is my soul voice telling me that I need to do? And that might take some time to find. <laughs> yes. And also so inspiring. Yeah. Like <laughs> really love this. So this has been amazing, Julie. Thank you. So tell us where everybody can find you if they want to learn more, if they want to connect with you, where can they find you? Where are you hanging out online? Hmm. 
you can find more information about our life coach training at beautifulyoucoachingacademy.com. My more personal work is at juliesuzanneparker.com. And from there, you can just find me in the usual places, Instagram and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And you have the Priestess Podcast. Yes, the Priestess Podcast. I absolutely love that. It's a show that is dedicated to having extraordinary conversations with people from around the world around spirituality. Um, the divine feminine, uh, goddess culture, mindset, all beautiful things about living a more divine, whole, healed, beautiful life. So I absolutely love that too. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Julie. A pleasure. Thank you. Something that I have been thinking a lot about since this interview with Julie and editing it was, is, was is about radical honesty this idea of radical honesty which we briefly touched on there at the end and where in my life have I not been radically honest with myself and and what can I own up to and I wanted to leave that with you guys today I'm sure you have a lot of takeaways from this episode but where in your life are you not being radically honest right what can you own up to what have you been letting yourself off the hook for or covering up or not admitting so what can you own you know one of my favorite quotes from Brandilyn is whatever we don't own whatever you don't own owns you so whatever we don't own owns us so what can we own up to what can we be radically honest about whether it's our relationship with food our body image that we actually need help, that we're struggling, that we're unhappy in our relationships, friendships, careers, how we're taking care of ourselves, right? What would it look like for you to admit what actually is really going on? And how would your life change if you would own up to it? So I want to leave that little thought bubble with you today and invite you into being radically honest with yourself about where you're at, how you're showing up in the world, perhaps areas of your life you want to change, things you need to let go of, things you want to transform. Where can you be more honest? I really loved that thought that Julie brought to the conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the Love Your Bod pod. If you loved this episode, share it with a friend, share it in your Instagram stories, leave a ratings and review on iTunes. That always helps keep the podcast going. And I'm always so grateful when you do. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bot Podcast.